0: Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over forty years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for twenty-five years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rody Fisher.
1: Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. My name is Rody Fisher. Father, let's, uh, let's pray, people. Father, thank you so much for allowing us this opportunity of being here to share your word and the things that you do with us and through us and in us on this road that we travel with you. Father, I pray that you would be with um, Sean and Guy that's in the booth, and also my special guests, Pam Rice, and, of course, um, Mark, who's here today, and and myself. Lord, I pray that you would um, be with each of us. And, Lord, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing to you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we are again in the book of Psalms. And we are going to read um, Psalm 14 today. So I'm reading out of, you know, I'm going to switch to, sorry about these listeners, I didn't even think about it, but I'm going to be reading out of the New King James, and it dawned on me that I again brought the King James, not that um, there's a huge difference, but we're going to go to Psalm 14, and we'll do the whole chapter so here we go um, to the chief musician a psalm of David again this is David um, writing this psalm and it starts out with kind of one of my favorite verses uh, Mark quotes this all the time um, the fool has said in his heart there is no God and I think I I think one of the th- the past um, episodes that I had I shared about Mark sharing that with somebody that, claim to be an atheist. And in right here the word fool really he is talking about a person that doesn't know God. In, in this reference, I think the word in Hebrew, let me look at my notes is Nabal or Nabel and and it, it means fool or somebody that's ignorant um, and or atheist. you know an atheist is the person that says there is no God and this is where this is what we're talking about here and let me just tell you about Nabal I think it's in Sam first Samuel where he um he has this big property and and David and his troops his army is using his property um but he's they're protecting his property and they decide that they need to eat and they ask him for food and he denies feeding them after the years of them protecting his property and so there's a fool there and so his his name is means fool um and here it is a fool will set it, say in their heart there is no god um <clears throat> there is no god they are corrupt they have done abominable works there is none who does good you know, when I think of abominable works, I think of people that are doing things that are really despicable, things that um, are really terrible. And and in, in fact, um, it, it's almost like someone doing, I mean, some of the most disgusting things that you can think of is, you know, being there watching somebody that's sick and throwing up. And Pam, you probably have seen that many times as a nurse. But for me, when I see somebody throwing up, I want to throw up myself. And um, this is what happens when um, a people, and they're doing that today, let's face it, there's a lot of states that are still having riot, rioting and tearing down buildings and breaking windows and putting, lighting cars on fire and things like that. That, to me, is abominable. It's abominable things. Uh, they have no God. They have no sense of... Um, what 's right and wrong, and they're able to kind of do things like that and i 'm talking about abominable things all, all the way to you know killing somebody and things like that but um it, this is what a fool does somebody that has no god they 're corrupt they do abominable works um, there's none who does good um, that are do that are that are you know without God. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men, to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Um, I, I am reminded in this scripture about the scripture in Romans 3. I don't know why I'm throwing this in at the last minute, but here it goes. You know, there's no one. No one's good. Um, It says in that scripture, there's no one that's good except for Jesus. No, not one. Um, but that's if you haven't accepted Jesus in your life. Even even when you have, we're still doing. We're still not doing that. We're still sinning, but hopefully not as much, because we're trying. To, we've got the righteousness of Jesus in us, on us, and in us. Um, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? Well wow. there they are in great fear for God is with the generation of the righteous you shame the counsel of the poor i guess that you know i'm thinking we're not giving to the poor when you're when you're doing all that bad stuff you need to be thinking of the poor giving to the poor but the lord ha- is his refuge oh that the salvation of israel would come out of zion when the lord brings back cap- the captivity of his people let jacob rejoice And Israel be glad! Wow, you know, all I can think of is we all need God, Um, and I I know that some of you out there, maybe all of us here too, will have a friend or two that may not believe in God. And um, I know that I've quoted that scripture to somebody, and um, this person I remember at work kept trying to you know tell me things about. Telling me not to, quote, you know, not to witness to him. Well, I was never witnessing to him, but he kept saying, "Now I know you're a Christian, so don't witness to me. I don't. I'm an atheist," and you know, on and on and on. And so, f- f- one day, I said to him, "I, you know, there's scripture in the Bible about you," and he was like, "Really?" And I quoted him that scripture. But anyhow, um, we all need God in our lives, and if you're out there that have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I would really. Am- implore you to think about accepting him. Um, And today would be a good day because he's coming back soon. Thank you for your word, Lord. Um, Continue to give us understanding there. Right now, I would like to introduce my special guest. Um, I think I've known Pam since the early 90s. Uh, I know that um, when In 1991, Calvary Chapel Anaheim moved from one place on Boero to um, where they are right now in Palaeus and I think that's where I met you first. And also, over the years, we've seen you at Calvary Chapel Norco. We've um, also—we saw you maybe at a retreat or um, something that Calvary Chapel had that— anyhow, we saw you at church on Sunday— um, you were friends of um, Mark's daughter, Carrie Lynn, as well as um, Mark and I. And So welcome, Pam Roy Rice. Thank you very much. Nice okay. to be here. Okay. Now, Pam, I, I had just mentioned earlier that you're a nurse, but would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, give us some background of where you were born, where you grew up, and
2: things like that, so we can
1: get to know you a little bit better. Okay. I
2: was born in Long Beach, California. I'm a native Californian and lived mostly in Southern California. I lived in Santa Maria for about maybe a couple of years when I was small. but Other than that, it's been in Southern California. We had a family with three children, and it was a regular nuclear family. I was raised Catholic, and we were good Catholics. We went to church every Sunday, even on vacation. And even I did, on vacation, even on vacation, Your parents looked for a church they, around the It corner. was mandatory. Wow, I never mean, like missed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and my dad actually was nearly a Catholic priest, and then he backed out before he was ordained because wow. he decided he wanted to get married. Okay, so I almost wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's
1: true. Okay, so you grow up in this in this Catholic family. Yep and like you said mostly in long or southern california
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so you have
2: i know you have a sister do you have a brother yes i have an older brother and he actually grew up to be the pastor who performed my marriage ceremony oh really
1: mm-hmm. wow interesting okay great so i also know you that you have a twin sister that's right and so you're the older of the twin sister uh, of the sis- uh, yes okay by oh, 9 tw- minutes 9 minutes okay <laughs> great now, um, Pam, when and how do you come to Christ? Uh, you, you've got a lot of background going to church. Now, before I ask you that question about coming to Christ, do you guys get really involved in the Catholic Church? Like, does, is somebody a an, um, your brother an altar boy or... Any kind of thing like that? No. Are you guys really just a churchgoer?
2: Well, uh, we went to Catholic school until okay. fourth grade, and then my parents pulled us in, put us into public school. So. Okay. So, when do you
1: accept Jesus as your Savior? How old were Well, you don't have to tell us your age, but
2: so when do you accept the Lord, and tell me how that all comes about? Okay. I was 20 years old. I just. I had just had my physical birthday the day before, so it's easy to remember my spiritual birthday because it's the day after my physical birthday. Okay. And when I was in high school, I, I went astray and hung out with kids that got me involved in drugs and alcohol and the sex, drugs, and ro- rock and roll, basically. Really,
1: Pam? <laughs> I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. And even... To the point of stealing, and we would steal alcohol. We stole a car one time. That was our biggest victory. <laughs> um, and by Crown the grace of God... right there. Yes. By the grace of God, never got busted. Okay. So
1: you're stealing money, you're stealing drug, um, alcohol, you're st- from the stores or from from your stores. parents' houses? From stores. From stores. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So... Uh, <laughs> Well, you're talking about really stealing from Okay. <laughs> I thought maybe when I taught, had talked to you that you were taking <laughs> taking your parents' nope, alcohol. No. Nope. No, you're going to the store and yeah, stealing. Yeah, we were kind of hardcore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Sorry about that.
1: So you're this goes on for how long? Like all through high school or something?
2: Uh, it started in my sophomore year. It started just with drinking and then it progressed onto other things, you know. So, okay. yeah, by the time I was um, 20, I had, I had quit smoking cigarettes. I started smoking cigarettes when I was a sophomore in high school. Thankfully, I quit that early. But the alcohol and the drugs and promiscuity continued until I was 20. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll yep. to the max. Okay. <laughs> uh,
1: so here you are going down this road. And how is
2: it that you make this turn towards Jesus? Well, my sister um, was was a worse partier than I was, and she even would go out on her breaks from her work <laughs> and smoke pot in in her car and get loaded and come back to work. And I kept telling her, "You are so stupid." I said, "You're going to get busted, and you're going to get fired, and all this stuff." And so she was she was really messed up and. Eventually, she ended up getting saved. And so, how
1: much longer before you get saved? Does she get saved?
2: It was probably about two years. Oh, so she saved for two years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I had noticed that she started getting her act together. She stopped partying. She stopped partying at work, and yeah. she was she was starting to become normal and and lead a, a good life. And I noticed it, and it intrigued me. So she told me about a Knott's Jubilee, which back in the day, they used to have these events at Knott's. And they would have a whole bunch of different Christian groups, their um, bands that would play. And then it was a really affordable price. It was only, I think, like $5 back then. So anyway, I thought, well, I can go ride the rides and my sister can see her Christian concerts, you know, and it'll be a cheap night for me. And so Right. So I was in line. So you you had all intention of going, but not going
1: to the concert, right. just riding the rides. I was rides. just going to
2: ride the rides and let her see her concerts. Oh,
1: okay. Well, well, what a nice sister. You're going to just hang tight with her. Okay. <laughs> well,
2: I would have been nicer if I had gone to the concerts with right. her. Right. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. But at least you went for the ride. Okay. Right. So you
2: you get there. So I got there, and I was in line for Montezuma's Revenge, and I happened to be in line with two... Very nice looking British young men. And I was attracted to them because of their accent and because they were nice looking. And I was young and single. And, anyways, so I was talking to them. They were talking about the Lord and, you know, how I needed the Lord. And I said, Well, if I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, do I have to give up partying? And they were very wise. They said, No, you don't have to give it up. They said, If the Lord wants it, He'll take it. And I'm like, Bingo! I said, no, I don't have to give it up. That's all I heard was no. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't the part about, you know, the Lord will take it. I only heard, no, I don't have to give up partying. So I thought, oh, this won't be so bad after all, you know.
1: So even though you saw your sister giving up partying, mm-hmm. you thought, well, I can go that route. And they said, no, you don't have to give up partying. If the Lord wants it, he'll just grab it out from under you. So you decide to go to the
2: concert then? Yeah, well, my sister was going to go see Keith Green. Okay. And so this was toward the end of the night, and I thought, you know, I'll just go with her and see at least one of the concerts. And it was in the Cloud Nine Ballroom at Knott's Berry Farm, and I was really enamored with his music. He was very zealous, if oh, you've yeah. ever seen Keith Green. yeah, He said one time he stomped a hole in the floor. He was so excited while he was playing his piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... His his enthusiasm was just infectious, and so he gave an altar call and said, "If anybody would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, stand up right where you are, because there's no room to come forward." So I I stood up off the floor in tears. Oh, you were sitting on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And he um, there was no one else standing up except me, and I didn't care. I was standing there crying and just rejoicing, you know, in my salvation at that moment. So as I was leaving, he was outside, and my sister had gotten outside ahead of me. So I was crying and said, "I just got saved." And he goes, "I know your sister just told me." <laughs> oh. I, I I I'm
1: so intrigued by this because I was really a big fan of Keith Green, mm. and now here you get saved through his concert, and then you talk to him after. Yeah, I'm I'm really jealous of that. Okay, <laughs> well, super. So you get. Saved And tell me what happens next.
2: Well, for the first month, I didn't really notice a change. You know, it was like kind of the, the seed that landed on the shallow ground and just sprouted up and then died right away. And so about a month after I got saved, I was invited to a, a friend's house for a party. And I proceeded to get drunk and loaded on pot. And then I was going to drive home. And I was in my dad's car. And so I put the key in the ignition and went to start the car, and I heard an audible voice say to me, Never party again. Really? Yes. Okay, so that must have shocked you. Yes, and not only did that happen, but I was instantly sobered. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So here you are in the car,
1: ready to go home drunk, and who knows what could have happened. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the first time you've done that, but an audible voice tells you, you to give up this party. Mm-hmm. And so those two guys that were standing in line before you on, on that Montezuma's revenge right. said to you, only if the Lord wants it, he'll take it. That's right. So this was his marching orders to you.
2: Yes. He took it in a very real way. <laughs> so
1: you know it's God that's talking to you. You know that the radio isn't on and maybe you heard something coming out of the radio or something. You knew it was God. Yep and you know all of a sudden you're sober. Mm -hmm. Okay, gosh, what a beautiful testimony.
2: So then what happens next? Well, I started going to, well, I was going to my sister's church at first, and then I can't remember how it happened, but I ended up going to Sunlight Christian Center. In Orange. In Orange, right, and I got involved with their youth group. I was um, one of the assistant youth leaders. Then I learned how to play the guitar, yeah, and started leading worship for a small group ministry. So you're 20 years old. Yeah, you just pick up the guitar and you start teaching
1: yourself, or you go and I went take for lessons. lessons.
2: Yeah, I went for lessons. Oh gosh, I'm really impressed.
1: I feel, I feel so ill-equipped here. Oh. so you, you take lessons. You're 20 years old. huh And you take lessons. Now you're leading worship. Right. Okay.
2: Hallelujah. So, and I also got to lead worship for our Friday night movie ministry at the church as well. So that was fun. And this fun. is at
1: Sunlight. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. I had a friend um we were roommates and she and I led worship together, so that was kind of fun. And oh, I forgot to say that when I first got saved, the first thing I was identified as was um an intercessor. Everybody kept saying, "You're a prayer warrior. You're a prayer warrior." And I still have a little angel statuette and and she's praying. And she's got her little wings, and that was because somebody said you're a prayer warrior, and they gave me that. Okay, so so now you're leading
1: um, a, a youth group. You're you're actually doing the the worship for them, and, and two different things Friday night and the youth group. And so you are just on fire for Jesus, mm-hmm. and start right in and doing His work. Now, what about your sister?
2: My sister, um, I don't know. Is she we, still going to that other church? No, she's she's had all kinds of changes in her life. You mean at this time? In,
1: no, no. At, at that time, when you're oh, leading, um, when
2: you're leading the youth group, is yeah. she in the part of the youth group too? She was. She was just a member of our youth group. Well, no, she was a member of the college and career group, okay. and I was with the junior high kids.
1: Okay, so. So she's there at the church, too? Yes. Uh Okay. So how about your parents? Are they completely upset that you guys are doing this other church thing and not going to a Catholic church?
2: Or how does that go over? They were upset with my sister when she first got saved because she would come home and tell them and me that we were sinners and we were going to hell. And so... (laughs) That didn't go over very well. Oh right. And my parents kept threatening they were going to kick her out if she said it again. So she finally got wise and stopped saying that. Okay. (laughs) Because it wasn't making any points. Yeah. But um, then she... Well, my parents... My mom got saved. And I can't remember how that happened, but she was at harvest. She somehow... I think it might have been my sister that got her to go to harvest. And so she got saved. But my dad was still a staunch Catholic. And he let my mom go to harvest for a while, and then he got mad because she was turning from her faith, you know, as a Catholic. And so he forbade her from reading her Bible anymore and from going to church there anymore. So that was, for many, many years, she she basically was forbidden to practice her, her Christian faith. Okay, okay. So
1: now you're busy doing the work of the Lord at Sunlight. Mm-hmm. And so tell me what happens next with your walk with the Lord. Do you continue to go to sunlight?
2: No. um, Let's see. I have to think back always. That was a long time ago. Oh, that's when I met my husband. And so when we first met, we decided we would try each other's churches and see, like, for four weeks, you know, if we liked one or the other's church so that we would know where to go after we got married. We didn't like either one of you. The churches, and so um, we decided we had to find one on our own, so we prayed, and the Lord led us to Calvary Chapel Anaheim, and my first Sunday there, I felt like that was my home, and a couple of weeks later, he felt like that was his home, too, so that worked out well for us. Wow, and this was before you got married, or? This was, um were we married? I think, yeah, it was before we got married. Okay. Yep.
1: So, then you continue on with that church until you come to Corona. Is
2: that right? Well, that was um Pastor Louis from mm-hmm. Calvary Chapel, Anaheim uh Pastor Mark had told him he had a vision that Pastor Louis was supposed to start calvary Chapel Norco mm-hmm. and so Pastor Louis started Calvary Chapel Norco. It was in their living room, but it wasn't truly a Norco, and the church didn't grow for about a year, and so I finally said to him, I think we're not growing because the vision was for Norco. So he and his wife found a building for us to rent, and so we figured out how much we could afford between our two families to pay for rent, and that was how Calvary Chapel Norco got started. Wow. And what year was that? That was in 1995. Okay.
1: So, yeah, 1995. Now, for the viewers, Pastor Louis is going to be our special guest tomorrow. Oh. So um, he'll be following um, right after this um, tomorrow so Pam <clears throat> what I what I do know about some of the things that you've done and because we've known each other for years is that you've done a lot of different ministries so he, you're now at uh, Calvary Chapel Norco and give us the kinds of things that you start to do from 1995. Uh, the the different ministries that the Lord has called you to.
2: Okay. Well, actually it started in Anaheim. I started working in the nursery and then when I came to Calvary Chapel Norco, I worked in the nursery there as well for quite some time. And let's see, I was in the worship team for the church when we were in in our first building, um, besides Pastor Louie's house, and I was involved with that for quite some time. Oh, and that's pretty much the involvement that I had as far as ministries in the church. But that's when I started also getting involved with mission trips. Okay, so um,
1: when you're talking about mission trips, are you talking about the medical miss- mission trips? Yes. Okay, because I did not know that you were doing the medical mission trips until we went out to dinner. And you said, I'm going to, I think it was Nepal. Mm-hmm. and. hmm I was so envious of the fact that you were going out to Nepal to doing this mission trip. Now, you've done four or five of these mission trips, right? Correct. Uh-huh. So tell us about the first mission trip that you go on.
2: The first mission trip was, it's we always would land in Thailand first. Um, it was a stopover, so we would stay a day there. And then our real ministry started in Nepal. We would go to Kathmandu. And so for three years in a row, we went there for about two weeks, and we taught Sherpas, which are the guides that take people on treks in the Himalayas and up to Mount Everest. We taught them all kinds of first aid and medical care. Now, what year is this? This, I think, was in 2014. Okay, so that's your first trip, 2014.
1: And and how did that get started? Did you Did somebody call you or... How did you find this medical mission group that's going to Nepal?
2: Well, we had a nurse that joined us um, in my work, and we were both involved with hospice. And so she started telling me about these mission trips that she went on. And so I started going to a Bible study at her house. And the leader, the American leader of this particular mission group, was at that meeting. And so he was talking to me about mission trips. And... I said, "Well, I'll I'll be here praying for you guys. You know that's that's my job. I'm a prayer warrior, so I'm going to pray for you." He goes, "You will go." And I said, "No, no, no." I said, "I'm going to be praying for you guys back at home. You know, you guys need prayer support at home." No, no, you will go. So I eventually went. <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. So your
1: first trip, you're involved in teaching the Sherpas, um, those guides, how to give first aid, how to deliver babies. Mm-hmm how to handle, I mean, do CPR, mm-hmm. um, bandage up the wounds and things like that. Do you ever teach them how to, you know, wrap up broken bones? Yep. they yep. Okay, so what else do you teach
2: them? Well, we taught them, like, sanitation, like, um, like et- etiquette for coughing and sneezing, how you either cough into a tissue or into your arm, you know, and about the importance of hand-washing and those sort of things we talked about sexually transmitted diseases cuz there was a lot of that there actually um, oh goodness we talked about fevers you know how to treat fevers you know if they didn't have medications that if they could find any cold water you know to treat them like that we taught them how to take vital signs wow now what what
1: other kind of do you do any medical help with these Um, Yes. So were you mending wounds and doing things like this yourself?
2: No, but we held medical clinics there. And um, people would come from miles around because only 15% of the population back then had any kind of medical care at all. So it was a big deal when we would come because they would get free medical exams. And we would be able to give them limited amounts of medication. We could do teaching for them, you know, about how to take care of themselves with certain conditions. So and we would check their eyes and, you know, we would check their vital signs and see if they needed blood pressure medication or whatever, you know. And so we taught our students how to do the vital signs for these people and and how to ask the questions, you know, to find out what's wrong with the patient. And they also were our interpreters. So, and also participated in some healings okay so people do get
1: okay so you you said participating in healing tell me about that somebody gets healed it's beyond the medical it's a supernatural healing yeah beyond what what you guys do medically Mm -hmm. god gets in there and
2: completes the work yep tell me one or two examples of that okay um one of them Uh, I had a guy with me, and we had a patient come through our line, and his his one eye was totally white. There was no, no iris, no pupil. It just was a blind, white eye. So for a non-medical person, what does that tell you? That means if there's no pupil, you can't see. Mm-hmm. And so there, it was solid white, so he was completely blind Okay. in one eye. All right. And so, so what happens? Well, I prayed over him, and... Nothing happened. I said after I finished praying. I said, "Can you see?" And he's like, and I I was like, "Are you sure? Can you see?" And I was like, "Oh, okay." So I got my student and I said, "I said, can you pray for him?" And he goes, "Me?" And I said, "Yes, you." He goes, "Me?" I said, "Yes, please pray for him." And so he prays for him, and I'm looking at this eye, and I see the color come in his eye, and a pupil. And I was astounded, and I said, can you see? And he's like, yes, I can see, I can see. Wow, wow. So
1: right there, the blind sees. Yes. Amazing. Um, Beyond what you had to do, I mean, no operation, nothing. You More than your medical um, teaching will take you, the Lord finishes the job here. Yep. Through prayer. Yep. And I... I you know i keep saying that every single miracle in the bible i just said this to somebody this morning god wants willing participants to get this miracle done um when when um moses was standing at the red sea he you know the lord wanted him to lift that rod up and he lifts the rod up and the sea parts god could lift part the red sea without him lifting that rod up that's right but he wants to use us um when when jesus turned water into wine he said to them fill this vat up to the top he could have made that water and filled it to the top he didn't need them to pour water until it was almost running over before he turned all that water into wine but he wanted to use us um I'm thinking even when he called Lazarus out he could have gone in there and grabbed Lazarus out and unwound all that you know um death clothes that mm-hmm. he was wearing and and healed him and got him right up but he said Lazarus come forth and Lazarus walks out with probably hobbling out there with all of his you know bed i mean death clothes that wrapping that he would have around him but he used you to pray for this man and this other interpreter. What a witness that was to her or him or him, yeah, as well. so can you give me another example that you're you know working there, and the Lord heals
2: well, on that trip, there was a um an older gentleman, he was quite old and just a rickety little man and He could barely walk, and he was trying to go down this step outside of our classroom. I guess he was heading towards the restroom or somewhere. And I was afraid he was going to fall, so I ran over to help him down the step. And so I asked him if I could pray for him, and he said yes. And so the pastor's wife from that ministry was there and their daughter, and so they prayed with me. And so as soon as I finished praying for him, he goes, Did you feel that? And I said feel what? And he said, I could feel power coming from you into my arm, into my body. And he says, and I feel much stronger now. And I was like, oh, awesome. That's wonderful. I said, praise God. So then a couple of days later, it was the Sabbath. And so I I see him, and he's got this big smile on his face, and he's almost running to me. And he's going, look, look, He has he's got no cane, and he's he's just very strong and he's delighted because the Lord healed him unbelievable okay wonderful stories
1: now um do you get to share Christ with these people as well oh yes so have you had people accept the Lord as well as accepting medical free free medical help as well as prayer,
2: so tell me a little bit about that. Okay, well, there was um, a lady that I was actually walking with one of my friends from our trip, and we encountered this this little mama. She was holding her baby, and she was a Hindu. She had the little red dot there, and we asked her if we could pray for her. You know, well, she told us that she she used to be a Christian, but she turned away from being a Christian when she was, I think she was about twelve. And she turned to Hinduism because that's a very big religion there, yeah. in Kathmandu. So anyway, um, we asked her, you know, well, do you do you still believe in Jesus? And she said yes, but Hindus believe in millions of gods. <laughs> right. So it's three it's, and a half
1: million gods. Yes,
2: yeah, so it's easy for them to say yes, I believe in Jesus because he's just another god, you mm-hmm. know. So we asked her if she would like to rededicate her life to him and turn away from hinduism and so we got to lead her in a sinner's prayer and she she turned her life over to jesus again
1: wow that's beautiful okay so you that's your first, you've taken one trip and you go on four more mhm um tell us a little bit about some of the other trips that you were on because i remember you saying to me as a matter of fact this is the one that i think we, we were you were e- either going on Right before we went to dinner, and I was so amazed that you were going on these mission trips, and you said to us that you were going on this one mission trip, but I think it turned out to be a dental trip, and that's not your forte. No. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about that trip, because now you're being asked to do nursing for people, things in their mouth. Yes. And and that's not – you – well, you know I'm not going to say you don't know anything about um you know dental things, but you you might so tell me a little bit
2: about that. How is it that you get picked for that? Well, um I don't know if you know her or not. Do you know Sharon Porterfield? The name sounds really familiar. She's a longtime missionary thirty plus years in Thailand, and okay. so anyhow, she was telling me about this gentleman who would always bring a team of missionaries you know to help. They're in Thailand. so And then they would go to Nepal after that. And so she said, would you like me to ask him if you can join them? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And so I find out it's a a dental mission. And so there's only one person on the team who's trained in In dentistry. And she's a dental assistant. She's not even a a dentist. And I'm thinking, how is this even possible? And so here's these people. There's a veterinary assistant. There was two police officers there were 3 nurses and then there was our one dental assistant and so she was training all of us in the jungle in Thailand to clean teeth and fill teeth and polish teeth it was it was very interesting to say the least but the job gets done it got done and and the goal when you go there is to also share Christ
1: with people yes wonderful gosh i am so envious of that i am i I am so glad God called you and not me. But wonderful job. Yeah. Um, and you're you're. Are, are you? Do you, well. Nobody's traveling right now, so you don't have any plans to go right now. But I I also know that one of the times we were out to dinner, we talked about you getting involved in the Muslim ministry, and you asked about that and so i gave you some background on that and you get involved with george Saig mm-hmm. and m2m um, m2n ministries right so tell me a little bit about that and what why, why you feel a calling on your life at that time
2: to join up with the ministry to muslims okay it actually started after 911 and i really hated muslims even as a christian i hated them for what they did in New York mm-hmm. and in Pennsylvania and all of that. And so I i finally, after some months, the Lord convicted me and, and said to me, you know, I died for them too. And it was extremely convicting and humbling to me. And so then I actually had a, a dream and I was dreaming that my my family and I were trying to escape our house, kind of like in the sound of music when they're pushing their car. yeah. And we were sneaking out and we were gathered near the mailbox in front of the house. And I was surrounded by, we were all surrounded by a bunch of Muslim women with their rifles trained on us. Wow. And I said, um, Jesus loves you to them. And one of them took off her hijab and she goes, you are one step closer. And so finally, um, someone we knew talked to us about a um, an imam who... So now you you wake up from the dream. Yes. Okay. So somebody's talking to you about an imam, but this is in real life. In real life. Okay. And so, um, actually, this was a a man named Joe Carey who taught Muslim ministry. You know, it's really interesting because his wife spoke here a couple of weeks ago. Oh, she
0: did. Yeah,
1: Christine. Oh. So, um, for those of you that want to hear her testimony, that would be Christine Carey. And I don't, I didn't know you were going to mention this. So just look it up. It's Christine Carey. And I think it's like the 22nd episode. But look at one of those for Christine Carey and you'll see her testimony. But you get involved with Joe Carey because he has a ministry to Muslims.
2: Right. And so we were radical truth. Yes. We attended one of his seminars. (laughs) It was just a one day seminar. And he was telling us about some place that he went where there was an imam. And he had been an imam for 24 years, and he said that not one Christian had ever come to visit him. Okay,
1: so for the listeners, I just want to point out that um, many people know this, but just in case you don't, imam is would be like a rabbi to um, a synagogue or a pastor to a church. The imam would be the the head person of the um the the Muslim mosque. So, go ahead. So Joe tells a story about how this imam says, nobody's ever come up to me, um, and he's been there for 25 years. Right. And so that
2: convicts you? Yes. It was like it was burning a hole in my heart. It just bothered me. I thought, wow, that just should not happen. So there was a particular imam that I wanted to meet, and I tried for like a year to get to meet this imam, and... I didn't. I, I just couldn't connect with him. I, I couldn't find office hours or anything for him, and I. So I asked my friends. I said, "Can you guys please pray that I'll get to meet this imam?" Well, there was there was a certain event that happened. Mm-hmm. That was um, it was a an event that involved a Muslim shooting, and so um, they were having a a service at the mosque, and they had a dinner plan for everybody, and it was an interfaith thing. And so the imam was there, and I was very excited. So you decide to go to this event. Yes. And so you meet the imam, Mm -hmm. and you get to talk to him? Yes. And Uh, I actually, my husband and I were there, and so we asked if we could meet with him again, you know, privately. And so he said yes, and so he goes, let me give you my phone number. Well, I didn't have my glasses on, and so... I asked him, can you type your phone number in my phone? And so I got his phone number because he typed it in himself. Wow.
1: So you start a relationship um, of conversation with him. Um, Is this in person or on email
2: or on the phone? Well, it started in person. My husband and I went in his office one evening. And then um, he and I, like the next day, I started to text him. And I was witnessing to him with scripture and Talk just telling him about the Lord, so he would send me Islamic videos to watch, and so then I would have to refute those. And this went on the first day from nine in the morning till four in the afternoon. Wow, so an open dialogue happens
1: with you, yeah, which is really good because really, what you're what, what happens with I, I don't want to just say Muslims, but with anybody that is not of the faith,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, relationships. Relationship building is key to getting them to warm up to you, accept the Lord or accept anything that you have to say. So this goes on for how long?
2: This went on for months actually and and I I challenged him one time because he told me if I wanted to understand Islam, I needed to read the Quran and the hadiths. So I started to read the hadiths and I found them to be very offensive very sensual and very explicit. I know. Yes. Yeah. And and I was shocked. I was really mad at him for telling me to read that. So I sent him this email telling him that, you know, for all of those offenses that Muhammad did, that, that he could be thrown in prison for many years in America if he did those today here in America. Right. So the next day I get an email from somebody else Who had another imam? Yes, he. I I see this Islamic name that I don't recognize, and I was going, "Uh Oh, (laughs) and so, so then I at first I was afraid because I thought, Oh, are they going to come after my family? But then I thought, No, this is a chance to get to share the gospel with two imams, and so then I had a relation with the two of them Mm -hmm. via text and emails, and then it ended up, um, we got to have dinner with the imam that I wanted to meet, we went on double dates with him and his wife and got to share the gospel with them, and it was a very amazing journey, actually. And then um, one time I had we had dinner with him with another couple and one gentleman who was a pastor who wanted to meet him, and so they hit it off as friends. And so then I sort of backed out of the picture because I figured it was more appropriate for for a male cleric to to right. minister to a male cleric, so so you handed the baton over. Yes, beautiful
1: story. Okay, so um, are you still involved with the Muslim ministry? Um, with. With M 2 M, I know that Joe Carey's ministry has changed. Yes. So I and you mentioned that that's how you got involved was through Joe Carey's ministry, but you did ask me about Georgia's ministry, and we talked about you um, getting involved there. But they they have wonderful teachings Yes. Um, from different um, speakers mm-hmm. that will um, either do it now. Now I think they're doing most of their um, teaching um, through um, maybe Zoom but there's that's still going on are you involved in that or have you pulled away from that a little bit
2: we haven't been going as much because they they changed the time of it and so it's a little harder for us to get there now at the at the current time right but okay. i still have a a burning desire for muslims i the lord changed my heart totally toward them and whenever i see muslims my heart goes out to them and i i have a real love for them and i want to do more ministry with them
1: that's kind of how mark and i are when we see a muslim person we just can't stop ourselves <laughs> we're like going right towards them and at least you know welcoming them and and giving them you know a hello and and if they you know talk to us even better And we always have tracks and videos that we can share with them. And so um, you just be ready. They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So right now, uh, what current
2: ministries are you involved in? Right now, I am a worship leader at a Bible study on Tuesday nights. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm an intercessor. That's something I've always called upon. And people know that I... If they ask me to pray, I will pray for them. So right. I I have a lot of praying to do every day because people have found out that that's what that's the what Lord has do. put. Yeah, and so I still also, um, I love evangelism. I love to share the gospel when I have the chance. And frequently I will be shopping at Walmart or wherever and I'll just stop and ask somebody if I can pray for them. And I have had the most amazing conversations with people. I've had people, just because I asked them if I could pray for them, just start crying. One lady, tears were falling on the floor in Walmart, and I didn't even know why. And she told me her story, and I was just blown away that a simple question like that would open such a door of conversation.
1: That is so amazing. Um, I'm thinking about you, and I'm thinking... God put you in the right job, not just in your work as a nurse, but in your work, you know, in the spiritual calling that you have, mm-hmm. um, being sent to foreign countries to help with medical things, um, a, a desire to share Christ with the Muslims or the loss and praying for people that are um, just strangers, you know, just walking up to people. Um, so, gosh... I am so thankful that you came to share um, what God is doing in your life and, and and how busy he's kept you in on the mission field. Mm. Um, and so I want to thank you for your service with the sick and thank you for your service with God and the calling that you have in your life. Um, I do want to speak to those out there that are um, thinking that you have not made a commitment to the lord i want to say to you in in romans 3 it says we've all fallen short of the glory of god none of us deserve jesus none of us deserve god in our life we've all sinned that's what it means all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god but he's made a way for us to get to heaven and that is to accept jesus as our savior Ask him to wash our sins. And why can we ask Jesus as our Savior? Because he died for us on the cross. He was the only living, holy lamb that could be sent to the cross to die for our sins. And he did. He died for you and and Pam and and myself and Mark and everyone here. Um, He died for the whole world. And it says in John 3.16... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever would ask him will have everlasting life. So whosoever includes you, and all have sinned also includes you and me and all of us. So today, if you'd like to accept Jesus as your Savior... Um, Follow me in a very simple, not magical, but a very simple, easy prayer that would invite Jesus into your heart, and you could live with him forever. And you're going to turn from the sins of the past and try not to sin again. And when you do, just ask him to forgive you again. So follow me. Dear Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart and wash my heart as white as snow. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for nudging me today to accept you as my Savior. Thank you that you died, was buried, and rose again bodily into heaven for me. Help me to walk with you on this journey with you. Help me to find a church. Surround me with people that know you and love you that can help me with this walk with you. Remind me to read your word every day. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening to us with On the Road with Jesus.
0: Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rhodey Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rhodey Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project, Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher.